Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops. I'm Matt Landis, coming to you early in the week with a bonus episode. Obviously the main story across the United States right now, the presidential election, but down the ballot in some states, the election also continued to move the ball forward for sports betting legalization, and that's the focus of this episode. More than half the states have now passed some form of legalized sports betting, and to better understand where we are, how we got here, and what's coming next, I wanted to take this special opportunity to bring the first guest onto Props and Hops. That guest is Mike Roselli. Mike's an attorney in Chicago, and he's also a savvy better. He knows more about betting than most people on the legalization side, and I think he probably knows a lot more about the law than most betters, making him an ideal person to break down the current state of affairs. Mike's also the host of the Doggy Juice podcast. I enjoyed appearing as a guest on his show a couple weeks ago, and I'm really happy to have him on this podcast, especially at a time like this. If you care about sports betting legalization, I think you'll get a lot out of this interview, and this being Props and Hops, we also touched on a mutual source of inspiration in David Malinsky, plus some beer with a focus on the Midwest. I had a blast connecting with Mike, and I think you'll really enjoy listening. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, and I'm happy to welcome on our first guest in Props and Hops history. Took us 12 episodes to get there, but I think once we're past the Super Bowl, We'll have an opportunity to do more interview-style episodes, maybe talk to some breweries, some betters. But for now, timely opportunity to speak with Mike Roselli, host of the Doggy Juice podcast. You can get that on Apple Podcasts. And uh, there's a lot going on in legalization and betting across the U.S. right now. That's right up Mike's alley. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Matt, thanks so much for having me on. I am very honored to be your first guest. I think this comes with some pressure, but at the same time, maybe I'm setting the tone for future guests. Maybe maybe I'll set the bar a little lower, maybe a little higher. We'll, we'll see, but I'm honored, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I think it's such a good time to have you on with, again, the election having taken place. We're actually recording this Saturday, early afternoon Pacific time. Off the bat, just want to acknowledge you for taking the time here. Since I got up this morning, the election has been called. The Pac-12 season has kicked off. Everybody's called for Clay Helton's head again, and now suddenly USC pulls out a win, and it's time to look out for the Trojans because they've already cleared the highest hurdle on their schedule, so who knows where they can go. It's been a whirlwind of a day, just you know, not too long into it. I know there's a lot going on on your end of things, too, uh, in the process of relocating. So again, yep. thank you so much for making the time. Oh, thank you. Very much appreciated. And, and yeah, this has been quite the wild week. I mean, I was going to come on with my first thing being like, hey... Uh, you know, is there anything important going on this week that uh, might want to take center stage ahead of talking to little old me here in, in the Chicago area? But um, but no, that's, it's been a wild, wild week here for all of us. And and it's fun to actually like sit back and talk about something that I know you and I are both passionate about and something that's that's changing by the day. And that's sports betting legalization. So looking forward to talking about it with you here today. Yeah. And, and on that note, could you give us a bit of an intro on your betting background, your legal background? I know from listening to the Doggy Juice pod that you really can speak well to this area. But for some of the listeners out there, um, you know, just lay out your experience in the field. Yeah, sure. So I, I'm an attorney. Um, I've been practicing here in, in the Chicagoland area for about, no, what's it been, since 2014. So over six years now. And um, But sports betting has always been a part of, of my past. Actually, ran, um, I did a student run sports talk TV show at the University of Iowa back in the day. So I've kind of been surrounded by sports and then went to law school, started 
um, working in, in that field, obviously. And and I actually found for the you know my, my first four to five years as an attorney, I was I was working in downtown Chicago, and most of the legal work that I did centered around um, data analysis and, and specifically using data um, and analytics to help companies undergoing investigations, whether those are internal or otherwise, and preparing for litigation to come up with with legal strategies based off the use of data. And so I, I always had one eye on the sports betting industry. And then when it became pretty clear that that PASPA was going to be overturned a few years ago, I really was looking to make a move uh, career-wise into the space. So um, so now I, I work with um, with USA Sports Gaming. I'm a legal analyst and a staff writer there. We're looking to become the first um, startup sports betting operator here in the United States. Actually got our temporary gaming or license to go live in Indiana back in January, but then obviously COVID-19 happened. So um, so yeah, I'm just trying to be involved, but it's fun making a move into the space and, and, uh, and make a career out of it, so to speak. But it was kind of the perfect marriage for me, you know, the use of data and analytics in my, my legal career and now with, with sports betting as well. So uh, that's the long and the short of it. I mean, I, I've, I've been doing some other things in the, in the industry as well. I, I jumped at the chance to be part of the inaugural class at the University of New Hampshire, uh, the School of Law's Sports Wagering and Integrity Program, the certificate program that, that started a few years ago. So I, I did that uh, with the couple with um, Daniel Wallach, an attorney, and Michael McCann leading that program and met a lot of people uh, doing that. So just trying to really just just soak it all in right now because things are changing by the day and, and it's really an exciting space to be in. Yeah, I think you brought up a couple good points. It's a great way to connect the dots between your legal expertise and your your betting approach using data and analytics, uh, a great marriage of those two interests, like you said, and the timing just couldn't be much better to be having this conversation. I was wondering if you could, off the top, give us a quick breakdown of some macro trends with legalization in the country. Where do we stand right now? And, and what do you think is on the horizon as far as legal sports betting is concerned in the United States? Yeah, so it's it's been a crazy first few years. Obviously, PASPA was overturned on May 14th of 2018, and you saw some states that were ready to go, obviously, and launched right away. You know, Delaware, New Jersey, and a few other states you know, quickly went live. But now, two and a half years later, we have 27 jurisdictions that have passed some form of legalized sports betting. That's 26 states and Washington, D.C., and that includes three this week that, that legalized it with um, with Nebraska and Maryland. And um, okay, there's one other one yeah, here. Oh, Louisiana, of course, and and um, and South Dakota as well. So actually, four of them. Nebraska just approved sports gaming, which is going to pave the way for sports betting down the line. But it's it's exciting to see all of this. You know, over half the states now have passed some form of it in the in the first two and a half years. But and I'm sure we're going to get into some of the specifics here. But um, it really is 27, effectively 27 different markets uh, with the Wire Act obviously in play. And, and you can't obviously bet across state lines still. So it's really effectively 27 different markets we're looking at. And all of those markets are are different and very, you know, some of them are are, are getting this right, I think, early on. Some of them are not. And I think it, in, I have optimism that in time, the ones that are better are, are going to end up prevailing in the long term. So, uh, but it's going to be a learning process for a lot of states, including, you know, where I live here in Illinois and, and surrounding states around me. And, and some states have got it right. So it's, it's just an exciting time and it's, it's, we're in the early days too. You know, it's I think in five or 10 years, it's going to look a lot different, obviously, than it's looking right now. Yeah. And that's one thought I wanted to build on uh, voters in Maryland, Louisiana, South Dakota approved sports betting. Again, Nebraska, like you said, approved uh, more on the gaming side that could be a precursor. What could betters in those states expect moving forward? Obviously this was just approved, but it doesn't mean that they can suddenly bet whatever they want, wherever they want. So especially in those four states, 
Um, maybe Nebraska being in a separate category, more just approving a precursor to the bigger picture legalization. What do you think the future would look like um, for sports bettors who want to be able to bet in their home states as soon as possible? Yeah, so in terms of those states, I mean, they're all so strikingly different. I mean, Louisiana, it's, and some of them just passed, you know, just the ability to, the, the voters voted on the ability for the state legislatures to pass sports betting laws. So now they they have to tackle enabling legislation, which is a whole separate animal as well. So it's hard to tell what it's going to look like. I think in Louisiana, you, you're looking at a situation where you're not going to be able to have mobile betting for a while. Um, South Dakota, it's largely predicated on reviving or saving Deadwood, that particular area. But actually, it's the way the law or the way it's being discussed right now is in South Dakota, you actually might be able to uh, not even have to go to Deadwood. But as long as the servers are placed in Deadwood for mobile betting, you can, in theory, wager from any within state lines, anywhere within, you know, from Wall Drug Store, anywhere you want within um, within South Dakota. But so, yeah, it's just a different look for every state. And and hopefully as they're moving forward and, and people are going to start wagering, uh, they, they take a glance over at the states that are getting this right early on and craft their law to mirror more or less those states that are getting it right and getting more state revenue so far, because there are states that are killing it right now um, early on. Yeah, and that's one thing I'd like to get into as well. Who is doing it well? I know it's been a bit of a mixed bag, but it sounds like I've heard good things about New Jersey, Colorado, um, maybe if those two or anybody else doing things well, what do you think other states that are just getting in on it or have a bit of ground to cover to get there? What could we learn from the places that are doing it well so far? Well, I've said since the since the get go, pretty much that following the Nevada model was the probably the best path for some of these new states to take. And Nevada's not perfect; they have they still have in person registration for mobile betting. That's a requirement there, um, and they're not perfect in, in terms of their tax rate. It's six point seven five percent, and a few states have emulated that. I know um, Iowa, right next door to me in Illinois, uh, was one of those, but. Um, so a good tax rate, and you, you see that a reasonable tax rate, uh, you're seeing that in New Jersey, like you said, in Colorado and Indiana, Iowa. Uh, but the states that are really getting it right are the ones that are, that are really more or less not restricting operators or, or, or not unnecessary restrictions on operators because, you know, in the form of, of a larger licensing fee and in Tennessee, like a, a situation like that where they have a, a mandatory minimum hold percentage of 10%. And when you don't burden of the, the operators and force them to obviously take actions to, you know, in, in the form of, of uh, pricing that's not as competitive anymore. When you force them to go that route and, and, and actually affect their business, so to speak, it's, it's more difficult. And you're seeing states, other states, unfortunately not get that right. Like the Tennessee's we just mentioned, but, but the common denominator really in the states that are getting it right is they have reasonable tax rates, reasonable licensing fees. They're not in bed with the leagues in terms of use of official league data. Um, so the encumbrances on operators aren't as much there. And in turn that, that allows them to offer more competitive pricing and us as betters, we're more likely to bet with them. And it, takes money away from the black market, from offshore. And so in the name of integrity, monitoring the integrity of the games, when you're able to keep the betting above board, you're able to monitor the betting lines, the patterns, and look for regular line moves. It's better for the integrity of the sports as well, and knowing who your customers are, knowing where the money's coming from. And it's better for the taxpayers because they're getting more people that are betting into their markets instead of offshore and in the black market. So it seems like, you know, it's it's going to be less state revenue when you have a, less of a tax rate or smaller tax rate and not getting as much in licensing fees, but you're allowing operators room to breathe and keeping that competitive and offer competitive pricing for customers. And I think that long-term view is something that 
you know, states really need to pay attention to instead of just a situation where they want to just extract as much money as they can in form of a big tax rate. Yeah, that makes sense. And you touched on Tennessee. I, I wanted to dig in a little bit on them specifically because their legalization took effect November 1st. They became, I believe, the 19th state in addition to D.C. And it seemed like a plus that they were the first state with online only. So kind of making it customer friendly in that sense, but a 10% hold requirement. Um, I, I saw a good article on uh, Tennessee having a local book representative say, quote, it's interesting because people talk about differences, but for Tennessee betters, there is no difference. There's only one way being offered in Tennessee. It's like, I don't try to compare the milk prices in Nashville to the milk prices in Iowa because no one in Nashville is buying milk in Iowa, end quote. And my thought there was people in Nashville are betting it at the same offshore books as people in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. So that's not a fair analogy. If legal operators can't compete with the offshores and they're price gouging their customers, then that closed-minded thinking, that level of arrogance could come back to bite them. But am I missing anything? What do you think the future holds for Tennessee at a 10% hold requirement? No, it's going to be an interesting case study, that's for sure. And I, I think you nailed it right there because a lot of these lawmakers, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out when you read some of the the dialogue that they've been having on the you know the Senate and, and House, House floors and some of these states. The lawmakers really just have their heads in the sand on a lot of these issues, and they're just completely uninformed. And, and <laughs> just a quick aside, I mean, that kind of worries me for maybe more important uh, matters that they might be equally uninformed about, like issues of homeland security and stuff. But you know, actually knowing this area of the law and seeing some of the stuff uh, being you know, being said by lawmakers is, is scary, I think, to say the least. They, it's almost like they're turning a blind eye to the very fact that, like you said, people in Nashville are finding a way to get down, believe it, <laughs> better believe it, on, on offshore websites. And and so, yeah, to to actually expect everyone to all of a sudden only bet legally in your state when they have plenty of options in front of them that they've been clearly using for years and decades, really even. Uh, I think that's that's just at best being not accepting the true reality and being naive, but at worst, it's 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 dangerous and it's it's going to make it hard for operators in those states to to do their thing and, and it's going to keep that money offshore in the black market. And like I said, you can't monitor any of that. Yeah, I, I would have to think if I were in Tennessee, I would love to bet above board within my state if I could. Sure. But if you're going to charge me minus 115 on a line that's minus 110 everywhere else, or if a six point two team nope. teaser is going to be minus 130, minus 140, I think people who do sign up for that are going to bleed out pretty quickly. And those mm -hmm. who don't are doing so because they do have better options. So, um, you know, in that sense, to flip these words back on the Action 24-7 rep who made that <laughs> statement, uh, people in Nashville can buy milk in Iowa. So you got to right. be careful there. Um, but I do think it's good to see some states moving in the right direction at the same time. Don't want to pick too much on Tennessee. All mm -hmm. things considered, is there any news that you're watching for with any specific states, either some that already have the ball rolling or some that you expect to make any progress in the foreseeable future? Yeah, in terms of state, I mean, there's some big ones, obviously. New York is is the big granddaddy because it's it's legal there in New York, but not for mobile. And you can only do it at, at the upstate casinos right now. And it's funny, I hear from friends that are on you know trains uh, in the New York City area, especially ones that are heading more upstate it's all the advertising on the trains is all for the sports books, obviously. And, and once New York, I mean, that's a state to pay particular attention to because obviously um, when New York is, when you can bet mobily there, it's going to be a huge boom. And there's 
parties involved in, in the legislature. And that's the other thing uh, to keep in mind is there's competing interests at play and, and everybody wants their hands in the cookie jar too. And you see that, especially in my home state of Illinois, where you try to appease everybody and then you just have a, a very subpar bill. And New York, they're, uh, for lack of a better term, they're cheating the the New York, the people in New York, the people of the state, because not only do they have to drive across state borders to New Jersey to get down on their apps, they can't do so in their home state. That keeps the money, like we said, on offshore sites, and it keeps it in the black market. And if New York obviously went mobile, once they do, because I'm a, a big believer that's going to happen, it's just a matter of time, uh, it's going to be huge. Obviously, in Manhattan, every street corner, you could just be on your sports book at a Starbucks and, and getting down and instead of having to worry about doing it via other means and in New York, it's, you have to drive several hours outside of New York city to get down right now. Yeah. It's funny. I have a couple of friends on the East coast and I'll get screenshots uh, usually on a Saturday night about a, a bet they're placing. I, I believe they're going to Jersey mm-hmm. to use a fan duel or DraftKings. I feel like the sharks are circling. They know it's coming in New York. So hopefully yeah. sooner rather than later, we can get rid of the song and dance and, and just let people have the experience that, I think makes the most sense in reality. Right. And, and the wire act too, before I, the wire acts, the thing to watch. And um, especially after this election, obviously that's the thing that's really keeping things down uh, from a grand picture scale here in the United States. And, and, you know, the presence of a betting exchange, like a bet fair um, offshore, you know, across the pond and stuff that's kind of keeping that away. And, and it's, and there's a lot of um, analogies to poker as well um, in that regard, in terms of pooling people in multiple States, but the wire act specifically prevents, you know, the transmission of, of bets across state lines. So I of course want the wire act to be looked at. It was a law that was written in 1960 when things were a lot different. Um, and I, you did see, you know, not to get political here, but Biden um, president elect, or, or at least looks to be the president elect. He has, said some stuff in the past to the effect of the Wire Act adding unnecessary restrictions to the gaming industry. So it's something to pay attention to the Wire Act the next few years. It's going to change everything if the Wire Act is is repealed in some way. But that's what's the Wire Act. That's what's essentially keeping us at 27 separate markets in each state right now in, in D.C. But that's the thing to watch. All right. And also wanted to touch on California. Um, I know uh, being out in L.A., I'm selfishly very curious about it. It's a big state uh, bordering Nevada. There could be a lot of opportunity there in the future. So what do you think legalization looks like for California's future? So California's tough. And, and this is true for other states as well. The, the state tribal gaming compacts govern the law. Uh, so really, a lot of it has to do with with the way the tribes operate and the way the tribes move forward on it. And in California, it was looking like the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 this year actually might've been the event that potentially pushed it through earlier than a lot of people thought that it'd be pushed through, but it ended up not happening. And, and the way it stands is California requires a constitutional amendment to go in front of voters. Uh, and obviously the earliest that lawmakers can get that on the ballot is early 2022. So realistically, you know, even if that passes uh, later in 2023, like the second half of 2023 would be the most reasonable time frame from a best case scenario for Californians to see it go live there. But at the same time, the tribes do hold a lot of the leverage. And if they changed uh, their thinking or if they struck a deal somehow, things could change in that regard with the tribes. But uh, the long and the short of it is it's going to be a while before Californians are able to to bet on sports and especially mobily on sports. You know, there might be a situation where they can go you know, in the best case scenario over to the tribes and, and the casinos that are in tribal lands and, and bet in person. But in terms of mobile betting, it's going to be a while, a few years, I think. 
Cool. I think you've done a great job laying out where we stand now, not only where we are, but why we are where we are, what to look out for in the future. One thing I didn't want to overlook, you mentioned the Nevada model being a good blueprint for states to look to. Um, don't want to forget about Nevada and all this. What do you think the impact is? We're focused on so many other states trying to get legalized. Um, a lot of people still reference, you know, the Sharps in Vegas are doing this or that with a line. So how do you see the overall national movement toward legalization having any impact on Nevada? I don't think it's, I think it's just good for Nevada, to be honest with you, a more prevalent widespread sports betting. I don't know many people that go out to Las Vegas just for the sole purpose of betting on sports. Maybe you see like a lot of those Super Bowl trips, but let's be real. Nevada is still the place to be specifically Las Vegas for, for the, the ultimate sports book experience, especially with Circa opening up. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing that uh, sooner, hopefully rather than later, but it's still the Mecca. And when you see more widespread sports betting, I think it's, it's going to be a negligible uh, impact on, on the actual handle that Nevada is seeing. And you can even see the early numbers right now after Paspo's overturned, Nevada is not suffering by any means. In Nevada, they, they still have in-person registration as a requirement to use the mobile app. So if they end up looking at that, which I think they should and will sooner rather than later, that's going to help things out as well because people landing um, off, you know, at, at McCarran Airport can just download the app then from the airplane instead of having to go in and, and sign up at every single book. So I think if they look at that, that's, if anything, just going to help them even more. And the other thing is Nevada's, I mean, Las Vegas, it's not, it's so much has changed in terms of, of the way it's treated by the sports leagues. I mean, you're seeing obviously the, the Raiders move there. You're going to see a lot of people making trips out uh, for Raiders games. I mean, when the, the Bears play the Raiders, you're going to see a huge influx of Chicago fans coming in and getting down on games. So you're seeing the leagues shift their stance on their treatment with Las Vegas as well. And that's only going to help when, you know, the kind of the veil that's lifted, so to speak, um, on sports betting and, and it becomes more mainstream. I think Nevada is going to serve to to benefit just like everybody else. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point with the leagues kind of shifting their stance. I had a chance to go to, I believe it was the second home game the Knights had uh, their first season and it was against Detroit and it was just like the entire state of Michigan had come out to party and watch the Red Wings play hockey (laughs) on the strip essentially in Las Vegas. Once we can have fans in the stands at the Raiders new stadium, I think there's going to be, you know, that hockey experience on steroids on NFL weekends. So yeah, you bring up a good point there. And you also touched on Circa, I think, It's so great to see what they're doing. One of my best friends lives out in Vegas, and I had a chance to go uh, see his new house for the first time recently. But on the way there, I made sure to make a pit stop at Circa, sign up, get the app. And uh, it's nice Nice. whenever I cross state lines. Yeah, if if my wife and I are making the road trip, just once we hit Prim, then, you know, all bets are on. So it's (laughs) it's a good time. I hope Circa can make its way into California before too long. I think Colorado um, is also a big area for them. So Mm -hmm. it seems like they're doing a lot to, uh, I think, set a model for what the best of sports books could be from a better standpoint and also just across the industry, they seem to be gaining a lot of respect. So um, could you elaborate a little bit on what Circa is doing and how that might also affect um, more betters across the country as we see legalization efforts continue? Circa, I I have one eye always on Circa at all times because their model is is simply put directly contrary pretty much to the European model that you're seeing come in with with DraftKings and FanDuel and some of these companies, larger companies that are more or less just kicking out anybody that shows that they have a pulse or a winning better. I mean, it's, it's happened to me. I can't give down more than $12 on a college football game at Bet Rivers right now here in Illinois. And, and the Circas of the world and 
like-minded operators are coming in with the quote-unquote American style of bookmaking where they're they're embracing the sharper action and, and embracing the sharper money that's going to help them shape their line out. When you know where, where the sharps are on, you can use that information to your benefit. And someone like Circa, who's more upfront with their limits and taking that sharp action, not outright banning winning players, it's going to be better for their markets as well. Not just from a liquidity standpoint, but from the standpoint of, of keeping as much as much money as they can and, and uh, allowing people to actually shape their numbers. And, and so I'm paying special attention to Circa. I think it's, it's something to, to really watch as they move into other States. And I really look forward to the, to the time when they can actually go live here in Illinois. There's a reason why they haven't because it's difficult to get a license here in Illinois and it's, it's not the best for, for being an operator, but you're seeing circle circuit launch in, um, in States that obviously have more reasonable taxing structures and, and, and uh, regulations. And the early returns are good, I think for, for circa and they're kind of the, the sports better sports book, so to speak. And I'm not being paid by them at all to say this. It's just a, a model that I, We'll be watching, especially you know, in a state like Colorado that I think has the most reasonable, robust uh, room to grow. And Circa's in there directly competing right now with those other companies I mentioned, the, the bigger brands. And just seeing how they compete with one another the next year or so is going to go a long way, I think, in determining how that model operates in comparison to the European model that we're seeing play out as well. Yeah, sounds good. That'll be a fun battle to watch unfold in mm-hmm. real time. And while we're talking about a sports book, kind of transitioning from the overall legalization efforts to your own betting philosophy, what sports do you like to bet? Uh, how long have you been doing this? And um, yeah, just in general, how do you view uh, attacking the boards and trying to uncover edges for your portfolio? Well, Matt, I know you and I both know that it's all about finding edges in the marketplace. And I always tell people that you can be a great handicapper and and know the sport like you don't know every player know every team like the back of your hand and just really have a pulse on everything and you can also be someone who understands the markets the sports betting markets and understand um, you know how that works and i always say you can win being the uh the latter without the former but you cannot be a winning better without being the latter while only being the former so you you really have to have an understanding of of the markets and the way that you know, the numbers work. It is, it's a numbers game. And I know people that don't know much about the sports themselves that actually win in, in sports betting. Um, and so being good at both obviously really is what helps. And in terms of what I do, my processes, I mean, I, I'm always trying to find those edges in the marketplace and market inefficiencies. And obviously with more sports books, you know, one of the biggest things I preach is have every out you can and it, it really doing yourself a disservice if you're not going to have as many outs as you can and, and register for every sports book you can, because it's all about getting the best price at the best time. And, and for me, I, I do originate my own numbers and I, I do numbers in college football, college basketball, and the NFL NBA, like a little bit, but the NBA I've just learned the past few years. It's just, it's maddening to try and beat the NBA with, um, with obviously with player news and teams tanking and stuff and, you know, players sitting out unexpectedly at the end of a game. And so really I focus on, on college basketball. That's my favorite. Uh, sport in general to watch and handicap. That's my, you know, if I had to pick one thing to bet, it would be college basketball totals just because the markets are so soft and, and you really can, can find uh, some great closing line value, especially at the beginning of a college basketball season. Uh, but college football as well is probably my second favorite sport to bet. And then the NFL, I mean, it's king for a reason. And I love betting the NFL, even though we all, you and I both know, and a lot of your listeners, I'm sure know that beating the NFL is, is the toughest, uh, it's the toughest sport to beat, but it's, it's also the most challenging. And I, I enjoy the, 
the challenge aspect and, and, and golf is something that I'm, I don't do numbers in golf, but it's something I, I'm really exploring. I've, I've done a few projects this summer uh, during quarantine to try and just mess around with golf numbers a little bit and try and work on some preliminary models and stuff. It's, it's, it's a sport that I know is just, it lends itself perfectly for legalized betting in the sense that it's obviously it's, it's an everyday event almost. We got a Thursday to Sunday type of deal and, and live markets are, are amazing in golf with matchups and, and with futures. So it's, that's the sport I'm probably most looking forward to, to expanding my knowledge base on and, and betting in, in the upcoming years. Uh, but yeah, those are the sports I stick to in, in basketball and football and golf. Sounds good. And I think by the time people are hearing this, it'll be probably uh, Tuesday that I drop this episode. We could be within a couple of days of the masters yeah. kicking off unseasonably late. Uh, but is there anything with the masters that you're looking at as you get more into golf? Yes. I mean, the master's markets have been up for, for a long time. This thing with those bigger major events, mm-hmm. obviously with golf and, and it's cool because the next two majors in golf are the masters. So you're going to see masters um, futures up for, for April's masters soon enough as well. But no, I mean, there's, there's a few guys that, that I always like to target up uh, Tony Finau. And I know I'm not alone uh, in betting him, but I think he's ripe to, take home his first major and that be the master soon enough. So I do have some futures on him. He's a guy that just fits the course perfectly. And obviously last year he was, I think he was uh, leading heading into the final day. So he's great course history there. It really lends itself uh, for his style of play. And I think it's just a matter of time before he, he gets through in the masters. If he's going to win a major, it's the most likely uh, one that he's going to win. So he's still a good look. I think if you could find him at anything over 30 to one uh, without really looking at recent form as much, because I do know that recent form is something that, that should be in every golf model uh, to a certain extent. It can argue on how much you want to wait recent form, but, but that's, that's definitely the guy that I have my, my eyes on is Tony Fino. Sounds good. All right. Well, you've given us a good look for the masters <laughs> coming up soon. And also that overview of your betting philosophy. I know a couple of things you mentioned, no coincidence, uh, reminiscent of the teachings of David Bolinsky. Thought we could maybe touch on him for a bit. It was great to have the opportunity to speak with you on the Doggy Juice pod a couple weeks ago. Um, touch on Dave's legacy and what we learned from him. But for the Props and Hops audience, could you um, just briefly touch on how you came across Dave's work and uh, what, uh, what lessons from him have stood the test of time in your book? Yeah, so I mean, David Bolinsky he quite literally changed my life and I never even met the man like one time. And it, it's amazing that you got to spend time with him and, and meet him and do a podcast with him. And so I'm just honored to be even like, it's to be speaking with you, you know, as, as a fellow Malinsky disciple. But um, I first discovered him via it's crazy back in 2015, 2016, I think it was early 2016, maybe um, RJ Bell used to come on uh, Chicago radio on, on ESPN 1000. And he would he would plug pregame.com. So obviously, as a sports better who's looking for you know a community and just more information, I was always trying to get as much information as I could. I checked out pregame.com, and that's where I stumbled on uh, Malinsky's point blank column and started reading that. I, I kind of fancied it like a Wall Street Journal, but for sports betting every day, and it became a must read every morning. And and I just love the fact how he taught people how to think. I know we mentioned this on my podcast when we discussed Dave. It's he it you know, in, in an industry where everyone's looking for the easy winner and just the hot team and just a winning bet, you know, you're looking to be fed that day, but he taught you how to fish and, and feed yourself for the rest of your life to use the term. And, and for me, it's, it was a natural thing where I, it was almost like learning how to think like, and it was 
it was like applying the things I learned in law school as an attorney to sports betting too, because a lot of the same thought process and thought processes and, and logical reasoning was in play with a lot of the stuff that he wrote. So I just completely identified with his approach early on. And, and he taught so much, I mean, from, and obviously, you know, this on, on the point blank columns um, over the years and, and just the discussion that he uh, facilitated on those message boards were the best thing on the internet for sports betting. So just over the, those few years, just reading him every day and interacting on the message boards, it was just a, it was a perfect situation to, to learn how to do things the right way. And it's the ultimate tragedy in, in our lives. Obviously we, we both know this, that he passed away a month before PASPA was overturned to the day. I mean, he, he knew it was coming. Everybody knew at that time that, that it was coming. And uh, it's, it's a great misfortune, but we have so much stuff that we can look back on uh, and read up. And he left us with, which, with a legacy of, of wisdom and, and information. And, and I think that's thinking and, and just, just take it to the next level, you know, build on everything that he taught everybody. So, and being here with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it's great that you on the doggy juice pod will reference things. I often play a little game of Malinsky bingo in my head when you talk <laughs> about a team being in the drawer or something being in pocket in the portfolio. I uh, recently had an episode with literal pizza bets. Uh, they <laughs> yep. fun with that in point blank. Yep. So I, I love doing my best to, keep his legacy alive and well with props and hops. I think you're doing a great job of that as well with the doggy juice pod. And one other thing Dave loved almost as much as betting, probably not quite as much as the bristlecone pints as old friends in high places, <laughs> but Dave was a big beer fan. He loved to pair beer with good food. Um, and I know that in, in the Chicago area, you're pretty familiar with some good offerings as well. In fact, what are you drinking right now? Yes, yeah, so right now I have myself a Space Station Middle Finger. Um, it's from Three Floyds Brewing, which is actually in, in Munster, Indiana. So it's technically not, you know, Illinois or Chicago, but it's essentially Chicagoland area. It's a hour, hour and a half drive from from the city uh, itself. But I've never actually been there. But they are pretty much Three Floyds is is the that's the holy grail here in the Chicagoland area, even even the Midwest. I mean, I, don't, I haven't met anybody that doesn't like Three Floyds Brewing, but they're obviously known for for a few particular beers like Zombie Dust, Yum Yum. Um, and then they're, uh, what is it? Dark Lord, Dark, Dark Lord. Lord they yeah. The Russian Imperial stout that's, that wins awards every year. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm drinking right now. I got the space station middle finger. It's excellent. Excellent. beer. Awesome. Yeah. I was fortunate to try three Floyds for the first time last summer, um, with zombie dust. And then at some of the better festivals, they'll get occasionally just a small keg of one of those sought after stouts. Uh, if you're willing to wait in line or seek it out, occasionally it's available out here, but, um, yeah. Jealous in that sense that even if it's not directly in Chicago, it's well within striking distance. So good call for today. I'm working on the 2020 take on Celebration Ale by Sierra Nevada. That was uh, this past episode's show beer for Props and Hops. I know that was an annual rite of passage that Dave loved. And it's an incredible beer. They've been making it uh, pretty consistently year in and year out for about 40 years now. And it's just amazing when something can stand the test of time. And it's such a treat when it comes out every single year. So um, I know I'm spoiled in LA, you're spoiled in Chicago. So it's a great time to be a beer drinker. And I'm curious for uh, some of our listeners who might be in the Midwest or, or planning a trip when the circumstances allow for it to that area. What would you say are some of the best beers available in Chicago? Any specific beers or even breweries that you've become fond of over the years? Well, quick, quick aside, uh, before I dive into those, I have you and Dave to thank for Celebration Ale becoming part of my beer drinking portfolio, so to speak, uh, during the holidays, specifically Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner with the Celebration Ale. Discovered that 
thanks to you guys uh, last year. So I will not be sitting down for another Thanksgiving meal without celebration, even Christmas for that matter. It's perfect for the heavier meal like that uh, to wash down with the celebration. Ale. But, um, but yeah, around here, there, there's a lot of great breweries that are, especially like new ones that are popping up around the Chicagoland area. But um, one that I found myself drinking a lot of that's it's everywhere is, is Lizard King over at Pipe, Pipeworks Brewing. Uh, super popular here in the Windy City area right now. It's um, I, I'm bad at explaining the actual beers. I'm just a novice at trying to sound smart, but it's it's a little hoppier. It's got mosaic and Amarillo hops. Um, and then another beer I've been drinking a lot of is, and I mentioned it on the podcast with you, I believe. it's uh, I, I'm really into New England style IPAs right now. And the best one I found recently in the Chicagoland area is Le Juice, or I'm probably butchering the name, but it's um, it's from Alarmist Brewing. It's got it's the orange cans, and those are pretty much anywhere. If you're in the Chicagoland area, anywhere that sells beer, you'll be able to find those. But those are the ones I've had uh, I've had my eyes on and and been drinking a lot of recently. So to, speak, to be quite honest with you, yeah. And I believe you said Le Juice was Citra and Mosaic, which mm-hmm. with that hazy IPA, those two hops are the perfect combo. So can't wait to get my hands on that next time I'm anywhere near Chicago. That's so good. Yeah, and I thought it would be fun to keep the Chicago theme going as we uh, wind down. Wanted to do a quick rapid fire, couple couple quick questions for you, bringing uh, Chicago into the spotlight here. Uh, in terms of movies set in Chicago, Blues Brothers or Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I gotta go Ferris Bueller's Day Off because I'm a Cubs fan, and I just all those scenes, all like from the movie, even like when they uh, when they took the car from the. Uh, you know, like on the joy ride, I know exactly where that spot is, where they took the car from. It's you know right downtown. So just all the spots in, in that movie are, are like, I identify with that. It's like my, my own childhood more or less. And I have ditched, I did ditch school to go to a Cubs game, the opening day game in 2003 uh, in high school with my friends. I got grounded for two weeks, but that was totally worth it to me. So I identify very much with that movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Good call. You almost made it to opening day of the year that they were going to break the drought. So that could have been well worth being grounded for two weeks, but maybe it still was. (laughs) I thought it was. I know I was saying that in October of that year, because that was the Bartman year, as as you just alluded to. And uh, that's what I was thinking of. I was like, maybe we helped break the curse by ditching school. And it was a crazy day. It was snowing that day. I remember they were playing the Pirates. And I think we didn't arrive to the game until like the fourth inning. It was a cold, cold day. But just the the idea of going there and ditching school and showing up is just, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was totally worth the, the uh, the wrath of my parents when I got home. Yeah, a trip to Wrigley Field, or in my book, Twist and Shout was an amazing song before that movie, but it's it's just elevated even further uh, after that scene when they kind of crashed the parade. So yeah, I'm with you there. Um, how about TV shows? Uh, quite different shows, but both great ones set in Chicago. Family Matters or The League? The League, easily. Although I heard that they filmed all that stuff uh, Really in California, I don't on the league. A couple, LA is all over it. Yeah, a couple of the episodes even had palm trees in it. <laughs> but um, no, the the Gibsons where they were, you know, supposed to be their hangout. Um, I lived like a block away from there about five years ago, where that Gibsons is in the um, by the uh, the word is the Viagra Triangle. They call it that area, but it's the near <laughs> north, the near north side. So uh, no, I, that the league is fantastic. E- easy pick there for me. Great. Yeah. My wife and I are rewatching that right now, just usually an episode or two to wind down every night. Um, especially I, after a week like this, that's really come yeah, in handy. I, I went as Rafi for Halloween about three years in a row. <laughs> he is the best character on that show. I wish he was in more, but the scarcity also makes it that much better when he's present. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Good call there. Um, yeah, and Gibson's, I was surprised. The one time I've been to Chicago, um, it was when the league was a current TV series and ran into Gibson's was so excited. It seemed like a pretty swanky place, uh, much much fancier than the setting in the show. So yeah, was a little exactly. bit thrown by that, but it was cool to see the real life Gibson's nevertheless. Yes, no, it's Gibson's is excellent in Chicago and Steakhouse is, is I mean, that's the bee's knees. It's the thing to do when you're in Chicago. So if you want to talk steakhouses ever, I'm your guy for Chicago. Cool. All right. Well, I don't have a good steakhouse either or teed up, but I was wondering deep dish pizza. You can probably go off the menu here for a really good one, but I've got to ask for maybe more of a national perspective, two well-known brands, Giordano's or Lou Malnati's. Oh, that's the ultimate <laughs> debate here. Um, it's my fiance in hearing distance from me. Cause we have a, an ongoing debate, including even like last Friday, we were ordering uh, in Chicago. It was one of our last, we moved out of the city. And it was one of our last nights ordering pizza. And we literally had the debate. It was Giordano's or Luminati's. And, and I slightly lean to Giordano's only because I think they have, uh, when you combine everything together, I think they're slightly ahead, but Luminati's with that butter crust, it's tough, man. So on any given day, either one can beat the other one, but it's just a slight edge, maybe a 52, 53%, just enough to bet, just over that 52.38% to break even over time. Uh, I think it's, you got to go with Giordano's. That's great. Yeah. My one trip to Chicago, we did Giordano's and Lou Malnati's is next, but I, I will gladly try it and make the decision for myself. But that gives yes. me some confidence that I chose wisely uh, going the route that I did. Uh, okay. And then deep dish pizza transitioning to dessert. This will be the last one. Uh, ice cream in particular, Oberweiss or Scooters? Oberweiss easily. I, I grew up about a block away from one. So I think I'm biased, but a uh, little tiebreaker, even if you do like Scooters, Oberweiss has, you know, Maybe not the best for a pandemic setting, but they have little chess boards, chess games inside the Oberweiss at the tables. So you can enjoy a game of chess with the people you're enjoying your ice cream with at Oberweiss. So the setting, if you're going to go actually enjoy, you know, a nice malt, nice cookies and cream malt, that's my go-to. You can play a game of chess against people uh, when you're enjoying your, your treat there. This has been so validating because I also <laughs> chose Oberweiss when I was in Chicago years ago and nice. seeing the milk and glass jars for the first time in years, I believe it's actually a dairy. That was an experience yep. and that's their stuff is about as rich as it gets. I think my wife and I usually share a dessert and we were so excited. We each got our own. I might've made it a third of the way through a milkshake and then I started <laughs> to feel it quite a bit. Still totally worth it. But yeah, that was some kind of an experience, especially uh, coming from outside the Midwest that, that felt like, uh, you know, whole milk Oberweiss felt like a really legit experience. So glad to hear you. It choose was that so, good. It was so good. No, you're good at finding those edges, Matt. You know, even if, if it's close call, slightly over break even, you got it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the name of the game. In the long run, that's that's how we can sustain. So, um, mm-hmm. Mike, this has been such a blast. I really appreciate your insight on legalization, talking some David Malinsky, uh, some beer tips in the Chicago area. Um, rapid fire, uh, great time. Makes me really want to get back out there when possible. So look forward to sharing some uh, some beer, some Giordano's in person, maybe capping it off with some Oberweiss and some winning bets. But I did want to make sure, again, to call out your podcast. You do a great job on the Doggy Juice pod. Next episode will be number 100. Do you have anything special yes. planned for that? And congrats on the milestone. No, thank you. I mean, I can't believe it's been 100 episodes already. It's wild. It's been just over two years doing that. Um, yeah, we're, I have some stuff planned just because it's the Masters. I have a little idea to actually reward all of my former guests. Uh, so stay tuned for that as a former guest yourself. Um, so I'll be reaching out to you about that 
uh, over this weekend, early next week. But um, no, it's just fun. And it's a passion project, something that really started out as just that, a passion project. And and now it's morphed into something you know that I'm doing every week and that I look forward to doing. And it's, it's serving the purpose that that I originally intended, which is helping educate people on not only the legalization process on a state-by-state basis, but also teaching people how to think uh, like a sharp better and, and learning the tools to to equip themselves, to put themselves in the best position to succeed in the long run, or at least lose more slowly in the long run. And and I think that's stuff that we learned from from Dave Malinsky himself. So in a, in a way, it's so, it's also building on everything he taught us. So uh, yeah, you can find it on on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can follow me podcast on twitter at doggy juice it's on instagram at doggy juice as well great everybody highly encourage you to check it out if you've been listening remotely closely to this it's clear that mike's got a lot of knowledge worth sharing great weekly listen mike thanks again so much for joining this was great and uh we'll definitely look forward to doing this again at some point thanks for having me on matt it was a pleasure and uh to the next guests i hope they hope i set the bar pretty low for you (laughs) goodbye All right, so I think that was more than enough to get the sense Mike's modesty is admirable and so is his insight. I'd highly suggest you subscribe to the Doggy Juice podcast on Apple Podcasts and give it a follow at Doggy Juice on Twitter. Early congrats to Mike hitting a special milestone with his 100th episode dropping this week. Meanwhile, for Props and Hops, this was our very first interview episode. And a quick programming note, I'm planning to do more of these during the NFL offseason, thinking it would be great to line up some experts to discuss March Madness, the NFL Draft, maybe some other sports as well, and also using the opportunity to take a deeper dive on the hoppier side of life. But staying on track with football for now, I'll be back at it on Friday for the NFL Week 10 breakdown. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Mike, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. And as always, until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. (laughs) 